Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Today we are starting a brand new series that I just want to jump right into called 40 Days of Communion. And hopefully when you walked in the door today, someone handed you a communion element. If they did not, uh, we'll have a chance at the end of the service for you to get on this because we're going to close our service out in a few minutes with taking communion together as a church. Um, But we are challenging. The title of the series is 40 Days of Communion, and the series is exactly what it sounds like. We're going to be challenging you this morning. I'm challenging you this morning for the next 40 days to take communion every single day at your home. We'll be taking it together every Sunday, so we got Sundays covered for you here. But the other six days of the week, I want to ask you to take it together at your home. And the staff and I have put together a 40-day devotion on, and so you say, Pastor, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how I would pray. I don't know what I would read. Uh, It actually, starting tomorrow Monday, uh, tomorrow morning, Monday, uh, there's actually a scripture for you to read a little bit of application for that, and then even a prayer for you to pray as a single person or as a married family uh, with kids or whatever, how you can pray and lead your family every day for the next 40 days in communion. Well, Pastor, why on earth are we doing this? Well, I learned a long time ago, I had a preacher tell me probably 25 years ago, he said, every Sunday I hug every person that walks in the door of our church. And someone asked him, why do you hug every single person that walks in the door of your church? And he says, I hug every single person that walks in the door of our church because I realize there are some people that's the only hug they will get all week long. He said, I also pray for any person that asks for prayer every single Sunday. And he was asked, why do you take time to pray for anybody that wants prayer every single Sunday? And he said, because of this. I know for some people that's the only prayer they'll hear over them all week long. And then someone else asked him, they said, Pastor, why do you, when you're like preaching to us, I mean, why do you read the whole text? I mean, why don't you just kind of tell us in your own words what it means? Why don't you actually read the scripture? And his answer was the same, because I understand for some people that's the only time of their week we hear scripture read to us. I know, not that I have put up cameras in your house, but I know that is a reality for many of our homes today. Many times because of whatever, busyness, intimidation, we're we're nervous about leading our families in prayer. We're nervous about, hey, I might do something wrong, so I'm not going to do it at all. We have all, for whatever reasons, there, you know, in the political climate, you hear this thing about separation of church and state. I'm afraid there has become a separation of church and home. That spirituality has become something that the church practices on Sunday and forgets about on Monday through Saturday. And that, friends, that what we do on Sunday ought ought to be an expression out of our life with the Lord. It ought to be an expression, let me use this word, it ought to be an expression out of our communion with the Lord Monday through Saturday. See, communion simply means relating to the Father, having conversation with the Father. You, we use the word community. You live in a connected community. community. Communion celebrates our connectivity, our community 
with the Lord. And so there's several things we hope that happens this week. Number one, I hope, or in the next 40 days, we hope that the message of communion is internalized more than ever. We hope that the presence of Jesus that we often can sense as we take communion together as a church is sensed in your home. We hope, here's a big thing, we hope that as you are taking communion together for 40 days, that after the 40 days, even though you may not choose to break out the grape juice and the bread, we hope that the pattern of spending time together with God as a family will continue. And we hope you discover a new level of His presence in your life. And so uh, today we're going to look at the scripture that I use most often for communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. I've had a title for today's message. It's simply this, pass it on. One of the reasons Jesus instituted communion was He wanted His message, His sacrifice, His truth, He wanted it passed on. He didn't want... When he went to the cross and died, and when he rose again and went to the Heavenly Father, where he's seated right now at the right hand of God, he did not want that reality to be diminished or lost. He wanted it to be communicated beyond that initial generation. And so one of the ways he instituted this to be passed on was through communion. So today's title is simply this, Pass It On. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23 says, For I pass on. To you, what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people and an agreement with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment unto yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Father, I love you today, and I pray that what is beginning today in this 40 days of communion is a, God, I pray it's a, it's a change of trajectory. That our homes, I pray the atmosphere and the environment of our homes change. I pray that there's a new element of your presence that comes to our lives as we daily as a family or as individuals honor you, remember you, and set upon our hearts to please you every single day. God, help me today to speak what you want spoken. Help us to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us, and we'll give you thanks for it. Anybody in the room say amen? So on your way out today, you're going to be handed one of these books. There's one per family, and so uh, please grab one of these. I do want to speak to all the men in the room. Guys, not very often I just get in your face, but today I'm going to get in your face. Men, this is not a sexist statement, but men, you lead this in your home. 
Should I expound or just say that? Ladies, if your man is a weenie, if you're married to a weenie, I'm sorry. Ask him to man up and lead this. And then if he doesn't, go ahead and push him to the side and you lead it. But men, how about men be men and lead our families? Amen? Somebody's sitting there, well, I'm never coming back to church. Well, since you're not coming back, let me tell you, you are a weenie. <laughs> I mean that in the love of the Lord. All right. So, so Paul is talking about communion. When I get off script, it really gets off script. Um, Paul is teaching communion. The reason, we're studying 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night a lot, and, and most of 1 Corinthians is a book about getting the church back on track. There's a lot, of, a lot of ways the church is going wrong, and so they're getting things wrong when it comes to spiritual emphasis in the church. They're getting things wrong when it comes to communion. And so uh, the Apostle Paul writes and says, listen, you guys are, you're turning communion into a, into a curse instead of a blessing. And so he outlines for them how to bring the blessing back to their lives through communion. And Paul says, listen, the way you're doing this, your focus is not in the right place. So what's supposed to be a blessing is becoming a curse. And, and you may be wondering, well, pastor, listen, I know I've been in church. Maybe you've been in church all your life and you've been through communion sessions like we're going to go through the end of service today. Or maybe you've been in church uh, never. And you're like, you, you think this seems really ritualistic and you're wondering what is this all about? You may wonder why did Jesus even institute uh, this meal uh, you're going to discover if you've never taken communion together uh, before, the word meal is sort of a, it's not a meal. So just lower your expectations. It's one little piece of bread and one small grape juice. But you may wonder, what's the big deal? Why did Jesus even institute this in the beginning? Well, all through the Old Testament, uh, when, when God wanted the people of God to remember something, he would connect the victory, the exploit, or the lesson, he would connect it to a feast or he would connect it to a meal. And he would tell them, listen, every year, whether it's you know, the, the, the harvest of first fruits, whether it's the Passover meal or the, atonement, the day of atonement meal, whatever it is, uh, the meal at Pentecost, whatever the feast is, he, he, would, he would say, I want you to feast in this way at this time. And he did this in hopes that the, that the feast would jog their memory about what it was they were celebrating. And as a matter of fact, the very first communion was actually happening on, on, during the Passover feast. And so just as many of the Old Testament feasts point to Jesus, uh, Passover was pointing directly to Jesus. But here's why Jesus instituted it, is that the meal is a physical element that brings attention to spiritual significance. Does that make sense? So when you are taking communion this week and for the next 40 days, there is nothing, nothing supernatural that is happening when you take ordinary bread and ordinary grape juice and you ingest it. There are some teachings out there that, that teach, you know, the moment you put that in your mouth, it's becoming the actual flesh of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus. We don't believe in that 
part of it. We're not really a lot of scriptural support for that theology. But we do believe the supernatural part of communion is this, that you're doing what Jesus said to do, right? Remember a few minutes ago, someone said that when you obey God, you're making room for God. So when you obey the Lord in communion, what you're doing is you're making room for the supernatural, not because of the, of the, of the ordinary bread or the ordinary juice, but because you are remembering the supernatural creator, the God of the universe, whose name is Jesus, who you're recognizing in that place. And when you recognize him, whatever place you recognize him in is the place he shows up in. And so if I recognize him in the church, he shows up in the church. But here's the good news. If I recognize him in the home, he shows up in my home. That's one of the reasons we're encouraging you to do 40 days of communion so that the presence of God is not something that shows up in your church, but that the presence of God is something that shows up in your home. And when you do communion, you're making room for that. So it's not about the physical element, it's about the spiritual significance. You got that part? You understand that? In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And when you hear the word Thanksgiving, what do you think about? Food, turkey, dressing, unless you're from the north, and you think of stuffing. And I don't understand you people, but, but it's, <laughs> right? But at the end of the day, most of us are, are intellectually far along down the road enough to understand that this day, Thanksgiving, is not about the food. It's about giving thanks, right? In the same way, communion is not about the food. It's about the one we're giving thanks to. So I want to talk about three realities. And all through this 40 days and the devotions and the Sunday sermons, we're going to be talking about different realities that communion reminds us of. But today I just want to give you three before we come and take communion together as a church family today, the first reality is this. Communion reminds us that Jesus desires a relationship with you. When Jesus held up the bread, which represents his body, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. It's for you. Jesus wanted you to know that he paid an extraordinary cost so that you could have right standing with God. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, we understand that, that Adam, he, he destroyed the face-to-face relationship that humanity had with God. In that moment, sin came into the, into the equation with humanity because of, of Adam's sin. But God said even then that there's going to be a seed that comes to the woman and he's going to crush the head of the enemy and what is being broken in this moment is going to be healed in another moment when the second Adam comes, speaking of Jesus. And so the communion reminds us that the second Adam has come. The one that that heals what we have broken has shown up on the scene of our lives so the broken pieces of our lives can be put back together because his life which was perfect was broken for First John chapter 3 says that the reason the Son of God appeared, speaking of Jesus, was to destroy the devil's work. In just a moment, when you unwrap that little piece of bread, one of the things it should remind you of is Jesus came to destroy what was destroying you. Whatever his best tactic was, was destroyed by the broken body of Jesus. The reason he, he came was to destroy what was destroying you. Jesus has not off, 
he's not after a robot that walks in the church on Sundays and bows three times. He's not after a person just to come and nod their head in some real, real, uh, religious experience or ritual. He is, after, he is after your heart. He is after a relationship with you. He is, after, uh, he, he is pursuing you. Anytime there's a relationship, there's always a pursuer and a pursuee. And when it comes to God, you are the pursuee. He has pursued you. In 1997, this curly-headed girl moved to Magnolia to come to college. Her name was Megan, and there was a pursuer and there was a pursuee. That's not actually true. There were several pursuers, of which I was one. And I pursued her. And thankfully, after she found out that I wasn't 30 years old, which I wasn't. I was like 21 or 20. I don't know. And I wasn't married. Once I got through those two hurdles, she finally decided to, to go out with me. But, you know, we've been married for 22 years, but there's a part of me that just has to admit, I wonder how long I would have pursued her if she would have just kept shrugging off my advances. Like, would I have pursued her for six days, six weeks, six months, Six years. I mean, you remember in the Old Testament, the guy that served seven years to be able to marry Rachel, and he got Leah instead, and then he slaved seven more years to get the one he wanted? Like, I, I'm wondering how, how much, how much denial could I have withstood and kept pursuing? And I tell you, when it comes to the Father, maybe you've been turning your back on Jesus for weeks or days, or perhaps you've been running from God for a decade. But can I tell you, that bread reminds us that He is still pursuing you. He still desires you. He still wants to redeem you. And He'll pay whatever price it takes to see the lost son come home, to see the daughter come back through the gates of the city. He wants you. That's what communion says. Jeremiah chapter 31 says, the Lord has loved us with a temporary love. Nope. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not a circumstantial love. It's not dependent upon how you respond to me today. If you spit in God's face today, can I tell you, he's going to keep pursuing you. He's going to keep extending grace to you as long as grace is permitted to extend to you. So I just challenge you, let communion speak to you today to come home. Isaiah says in 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. Jesus is pursuing you today. He desires a relationship with you. He has not walked away from you, even if you've walked away from him. Number two, communion reminds us of what he's provided for you. In Luke 22, you can see, you can read, you can read the actual event of the Last Supper where Jesus actually instituted the first communion meal. He changed, basically Jesus showed up and he changed the, the object of Passover from the death angel and the deliverance of the people of God. He changed the object 
to himself and the deliverance of you and I from our sin. That's what happened. And you can find that occasion in Luke chapter 22, and you're going to discover that Jesus supernaturally beforehand made sure everything that was needed for communion to already be present when the disciples arrived. All they had to do was choose whether they were going to participate. Can I tell you in the same way, Jesus has already provided everything that is needed for you to have right relationship with God. You don't have to jump over eating any more hoops. You don't have to crawl through any more messes. It's not about works. It's not about what I can do for him. It's about what he's already done for us. And the broken body of Jesus, it shows us several things. But number one, it shows us that he provided the needed sacrifice for us. You know, in the Old Testament, the unleavened bread that they would take communion with was often scorch-marked with, uh, with stripes from the cooking. It would often have holes that would develop in it from the way it was cooked. And it became a perfect picture when you read Isaiah and he says, by his stripes we're healed. That we're pierced. He was pierced. So that we can have a right relationship with Jesus. The bread reminds us that the God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the one who knew no sin, who never sinned, became a sin offering for our sin. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. So when I see that broken body, it tells me two things. Number one, my sins are forgiven. And number two, I can have victory over sin. Did you know that? You can have victory over sin. I want to say that again. You can have victory over sin. I want to tell you this, thing, this morning that through the blood of Jesus and the grace of God, the addiction in your life that you think you can never get over, there is a greater work of grace that can happen in you and those things you can't get past, someday you can stand upon them and have victory over them and those things you are facing today, you don't ever have to face again because the grace of God can give you victory over them. There are, there are sins in my past, and I'm not going to bring them up today because I've already brought them up before God, but there are things that I struggled with 15 or 20 years ago that don't even bother me today, not because I have become more disciplined, but because the grace of God has delivered me, and He can deliver you. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what I'm facing. No, you don't understand what He faced and what He delivered to you when He went to the cross. And that broken bread represents my sin has been forgiven and my victory has been secured. Second, the blood or the cup, the bread represents my sin is covered, but the cup represents a new covenant. It's about the outward stuff becoming inward stuff. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a lot of activity. If you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of activity about trying to be made spiritually clean by, by what I do. It really is about works. Let me work up enough stuff so that maybe I can please God. 
As a matter of fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, there was still a lot of people. One of the reasons Jesus was rejected in many circles was that they falsely believed they had gotten really good at cleansing themselves through a self-help, self-based works. But Jesus says, no, listen, what you're doing from the outside in, it never really brings lasting change. So he came that we could be transformed from the inside out. That's why Jeremiah said, I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. Jesus doesn't just cover our sins. He removes our sins from our life. When I was a kid, not when I was a kid, when I was in, in high school, I hate to admit I'm this old, but when I was in high school, any of you guys, do y'all take keyboarding or typing in school? Seventh or eighth grade, thank you for helping me with that. Well, when I was, you know, young and the Dead Sea were still kind of sick, but um, in those days, we didn't take keyboarding, we took typing. And we actually typed on a typewriter, and if you mess up on a typewriter, how many know you don't hit backspace? Right? You have to turn the knob. Am I communicating with anybody? You know what I'm talking about? You have to turn the knob, you pull up the paper, and you get out this whiteout, and then you... You, you, if you, this is a foreign language to you, you basically paint with a small paintbrush over your mistake, and then you scroll it back. You got to let the paint dry. Then you turn it back down. You try to line it up, which doesn't ever work. And then you type what you wanted to type on top of that. Here's the problem. If you really wanted to know how bad they messed up, you could get a paper clip and you could scratch off the white out and you could see what they really meant to say the first time or how dumb they really were by hitting, you know, the J key instead of the H, whatever. But it didn't really go away. You know, people tell me today, if you post something on social media, it never really goes away. Like you can hit delete, but those that operate in Hackersville, which I don't understand, people who operate there, that they can go dig up what you've deleted. But when Jesus came, he said, I will remember their sins no more. He says, I was blot them out. In other words, the blood of Jesus doesn't just remember, he doesn't just remove our sins. He says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to remove your sin from you. You don't have to worry about it coming out. You don't have to worry about it being dug up because he doesn't just cover it. He forgives it and he removes it from the record. There is nowhere you can go to pick up the, the sins of our past. The devil can go and remind you of who you were and what you've done, but who you were and what you've done no longer has any binding on you because you're free, and who the Son sets free is truly free. It's truly free. He doesn't cover our sins. He removes them. He comes to cleanse us, but He also comes to remove them. Second thing about this new covenant, he doesn't just erase our sins. He says, I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. By Romans chapter 12, this is, have you ever, have you ever told someone, maybe it was your husband or your wife or your kid, I don't know, maybe a friend at work, or you ever told someone, you just really need to change the way you think. Like you're th have you ever met someone who's just thinking wrong? 
Y'all haven't met as many people as I have. <laughs> and you just think, man, I wish they could just change the way their brain works. Romans chapter 12 says this, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world because this brain is broken. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect will. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we can test and prove what pleases the Lord. When I read these things, I understand that there's two things that are happening. When I, look at the, when I think about the new covenant that I received through Jesus, number one, all, every time I read God's Word, it's, it's not just something I'm digesting. It's something that He's written. He's writing on my heart. So it's coming through my eyes, but it's being rewritten on my heart, and it's changing my mind, and it's changing my heart. So now when I, inter, when I interact with the world, I don't interact with it the way I used to because my mind has been renewed because now the work of God is not something that happened outside and around me. The work of God is something that's happening in me. Third tonight, or this morning, again, if you want to come, communion demands I stay current with God. Forty days of praying. There's a, there's a prayer the psalmist prayed that I would challenge you to pray in just a minute when we take communion. And I would challenge you to pray this prayer every day for the next 40 days. The prayer of the Psalms that says, goes like this, Lord, search me, try me, see if there's anything in my heart that's not pleasing to you. We need, communion is a call to self-examination, but more than that, communion is a call to spirit-empowered examination. There is a thought process in our world today that believes if, basically believes this, God does not punish people for their sins. That God only punished people in the Old Testament, but that's eradicated. God would never punish people now. And that is anti-scripture. There are multiple places in the New Testament, this one of them, Think, think, of what, think of what Paul the Apostle Paul says. He said there's people in the church who are sick and some have even died because they did not examine their heart when they took of the Lord's Supper. What was supposed to be a blessing to them had became a curse for them because communion is a time for self-examination. And when I say it's got to be done with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there's times in my life when I look at myself inwardly, and I think, you know what? I'm really not that bad. I mean, especially, I mean, if, you know, if you can, if you can pair me with, you know, with Billy over here, I mean, come on. Look at me and Billy. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, look at me and Goshen over here. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, compared to him, I'm great, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. When we ask the Holy Spirit to search us and try us, it's not about comparing ourselves to one another. It's about comparing ourselves to Jesus. And when I do that, I mean, oh God, I, gotta, God, I need help. So that's what I mean when I say stay current. Stay current means I'm staying in touch with God. I'm recognizing His presence is with me. 
You know, Megan leaves, or I leave every day and I come to the church and I work. And then I come home hours later and I get current with her. She'll say it like this. She'll say, so is there anything I need to know from your meeting today? Anything I need to know that went on at church today? And so I have to get current with her. That way we're on the same page. Did you know one of the things that communion does, when we examine ourselves, it helps us stay current with God so that we are readily repenting of every, anything that needs to be repented of. It means we're staying transparent with Him. It helps us to acknowledge me that, you know what? When no one else is looking, God is still looking. And it helps me stay in a, a repentant heart. I feel like I'm hitting you with a lot of stuff today, but, but let me just hit you one more time. How many understand that repentance is not something you do one time? Some people think that repentance is what you did the moment you got saved. Well, it is. But that was just the first time. We have to live a lifestyle of repenting. I'll put it to you this way. If you're not repenting, then you're not changing. If you're not repenting, you're not growing. If you're not repenting, then you're not doing what John the Baptist said. I'm not allowing him to become more and more and me become less and less. Because if we're not repenting, what we're doing is I'm just going to stick with the same level of Gregness as I am right now. And the last thing you need is for me to be me. What you need is for me, as your pastor, to become more and more like Jesus. And what your family needs from you, mom and dad, is for you to become more and more like Jesus. So that means I'm continually saying over and over again, God, forgive me and lead me away from my way and lead me to your way. That's what it means to be staying current. I want to ask you to bury your heads real quick. We're about to take communion together. First off, if you are in the room today and you did not receive one of those elements and you would like one, would you just lift a hand real quick right where you are and we'll make sure someone brings you one right now. One on the front row here. Anyone else not receive a communion element and you would like one? Raise your hand real quick. Everybody in the balcony? Okay. All right. Three prayers we're going to pray over communion. Here's the first one. We're going we're gonna to examine ourselves. Matter of fact, I want to ask you just to stand with me all across this room. Let's stand together today. And I would ask you just to open up your heart. Maybe you want to lift your hands to the Lord as an act of surrender. Say, God, here I am. Lord, search me. Try me. See if there's anything in my heart, in my life that's not pleasing to you. And God, whatever you point out to me, Lord, I'm going to repent of right now, which means I'm going to ask you to not only forgive me of it, but God, I'm turning away from that, from that lifestyle, from that habit, from that thought process, that attitude, whatever it is, Lord, with your help, with your grace, I'm going to walk away from it. So Lord, help us right now. God, search us. God, examine us. Lord, have we been too prideful? God, have we been too arrogant? God, have we been dishonest? Lord, have we been unfair with people? 
God, have we omitted giving as you've called us to give? Have we omitted loving as you've called us to love? Have we omitted the faithfulness you've called us to be to certain things in this life? God, whatever it is, God, we don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to you and what you desire for us. So God, search us and try us this morning. Lord, I wonder, God, I just wonder how the atmosphere is going to change in our homes when married couples for 40 days are just saying, God, is there a wrong attitude in me? Forgive me. Lord, I'm going to take my eyes off my spouse, take my eyes off my kids. God, just search me. Lord, just search me. God, change us. Secondly, this morning, I want to ask you just to take that bread, take that piece of bread out, and just hold it in your hands for just a moment. And I want you to personally pray a prayer that sounds like this. In your own words, Jesus, thank you for carrying the punishment of my sin on your body. Thank you for the freedom I now have from the sin of my past, whether the past is defined by 30 seconds ago or 30 years ago. God, neither of them have any grips on the life of a believer who has asked for them to be forgiven and covered by you. So God, I thank you that we can have forgiveness. I thank you that we can have victory. I thank you that we can have healing. I thank you we can have strength. I thank you, Lord, that whatever is lacking, Lord, you said in John 10 that you came that we could have life and life to the full. So I thank you the broken body of Jesus brings that fullness to us. And in this moment, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting your body be broken for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread together today? Then if you'll open up that cup and pray a prayer in your own words that sounds something like this. Lord, thank you for establishing a new way of operation for me. Thank you for the new covenant. Lord, thank you that I am not part of a religion that just tries to work from the outside in. But God, I'm in a relationship with you where you're changing me from the inside out. God, I'm thankful that you've taken me and others in this room who were far from God. And you've made us near to God. Not by our works, but by your works. God, I'm thankful today that you have welcomed me home, not as a stranger, but as a son or a daughter, as a child of God. I thank you that this blood reminds me, this cup, this juice reminds me that my relationship with God has been transformed and it's been changed by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so today I rejoice, I am thankful, and I'm confident because my relationship with God is not just based on what I've done, but it's based on what Jesus has done for me. And so in this moment, we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the cup together today? And would you just take the next 20 seconds and lift your hearts and your voices to the Lord and tell Him thank you.
Lord, we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. With all of our heart, all of our life, God, we thank you. We thank you that our lives have been, have been renewed. Our life has been covered. Our sins have been removed. And God, we have a new life, a renewed life with you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. So God, I pray today, these next 40 days, we'll discover you, our communion with you, and our personal life and at home will increase exponentially. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, I want to talk to you for about 30 more seconds. I want you to pick one of these up, one for family on your way out, and I would just challenge you to sit down with your family morning, nighttime, whatever is most uh, convenient. If you have kids under the age of 12, you may say, Pastor, this is going to be nuts to try to get someone to sit down and sit still. We, we made these devotions short with you in mind. But I believe that your example in saying we're going to make the presence of God and the Word of God a priority in our family. I believe, I'm believing it's going to change the environment of your home and therefore change the environment of our church as we are communing with Him every day. Would you give, we sang earlier, God make room. God, I'm going to make room for you. I believe this is one of the ways you can make room for God's presence in your home. Pick one of these out on your way home today and begin it tomorrow morning. It's Monday through Saturday. Sundays are missing on purpose because we're expecting you to be here and we're going to take communion together here uh, for the next four Sundays. So God, bless the people today. Lord, bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a first-time guest, I'll be on the front porch in about 30 seconds. I'd love to greet you and meet you and put a gift in your hand. Thanks for being here today. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.